we've been doing this series on grace, and we've been talking about grace. And I, I have submitted to you that grace is one of those ideas that can be harder to understand the longer you're a Christian. Grace, this idea that, that what we get is we get by, by what Christ has done for us, what we get is the favor of God. This idea of like, what makes you right before God? I mean, this is the big question. And sometimes people may think, well, I'm just, I'm like, I'm good. Like I just, on my own merit, I am right before God. You go, well, you, maybe you're great, but you're not that great. And so I think it's a huge question, whether you're Christian, non-Christian, to ask yourself, what makes me right in the eyes of God? Now, if you're an atheist, you're not wrestling with that question. But if you're anything other than an atheist, you'd have to wrestle with this question. What makes you right in the eyes of God? Why should you ever have his favor? And one of the things that Christianity teaches is that actually we have the favor of God, not because of anything we have done. There's nothing we could ever do to earn it, but because of what Christ has done for us on the cross. And what Christ is, we even were, we're singing and proclaiming because of what he's done for us on the cross is that, is that now he's bestowed on us his righteousness and his favor. So what we gave to him was our, he took on our unrighteousness and gave to us in return. He gave us his righteousness, which makes us, has the right standing in the eyes of God. And so as we've been looking at the first week, we said we are saved by grace. We are saved by grace, not because of anything we've done. There's no works. And there's one clear teaching in the Bible is that you are, you are saved by grace, not by works. You have not earned and cannot earn the favor of God. Two beautiful, unique promises and truths of Christianity are one is that we actually can't work our way to God. Other, all other religions are going to teach you how to work your way to God. Christianity is very unique and historically so and because, because of this, I think what the scriptures teach us is that we can't work our way to God. Is actually God has worked his way down to us. So the one thing that is unique about Christianity is that this idea that we can't work our way up to God, but he has worked his way down to us. The other thing, unique thing of, about Christianity is that it also offers us a personal relationship with God himself. And so not only has he, not only can we not earn his favor, but with his favor, we're actually in, invited into a relationship with him. And so we said like two weeks ago, we said all of this, all of this, saved by grace, not because you have done anything, but because of what Christ has done for you on the cross. Then last week I answered the question, if, if salvation is obtained by grace and not by works, then how is salvation maintained? Is it by grace or is it by works? And I submitted to you that salvation is both maintained and ob- obtained the same way by grace and not by works. Well, that's, that's problematic, it seems like at times. Because if you're a Christian, you've been a Christian for a while, it's like you, you think to yourself, but maybe, maybe my works do. I mean, if, if you're me, if you're anything like me, like I, I, will, I will do something that I think God approves of and I'll think God's happy with me. But then I might do something that God I know disapproves of, and I think God is angry with me. But I go, but, but here's the crazy thing. 
is that when Christ died for our sins, not only did he die for all of the sins we've already committed, he died for the sins we're currently committing, and he's already died for the sins we have yet to commit. And so we looked at last week out of John 10 is that what keeps us secure is not our works, but what us, keeps us secure as we looked at the, the, the good shepherd out of John 10. What keeps us secure is that the good shepherd has all power. And if we're in his hand, nothing, no one, no circumstance will ever snatch us out of it. Now. Here becomes the natural problem, right? This is where everybody thinks, oh, this is where it's leading. Because then it's this idea that, well, then maybe works don't matter. Maybe what I do doesn't matter. But here's, there's a lot of problems with that statement. But here's one of the problems with that statement is you, you actually, you know that that's not true. Like, you know, you, you know I, I just have this sense that, that what I do, how I do it, that it matters. And you go, it does matter. Because it's, it's earning God's approval. No. Or maybe it's doing work that God can't do himself. No. God could do all of the work that he needs done without any of us. But we have this sense that our, our works, like they, they have some sort of like value. And I would say yes. Because people think in this place, they think, well, if all it is is grace, you can't have just all grace. Because if you have all grace, what you're going to get is chaos. Because people are just going to go out and then they're going to do whatever they want to do. And then they're going to come back to God knowing that he has already forgiven them. That's what you're going to get. And you need to control it a little more by not talking so much about grace. And I go, well, here's the thing. My, my, my job actually is not to keep the world out of chaos. My job is not even to try to control things. My job is to, to, to teach you what I see clearly in the scriptures. And I think there's a danger if, what, if what's taught in the scriptures, we, we go, yes, God, but if you apply this this way, what you're going to get is chaos. And one, I would say, well, that's his problem. Two is this idea that, that, that there has to be a different motivator. You know, We've all been in this place, right? And maybe you're currently in this place where, like, you know what God is asking you to do or not do, and you want to do it. And the opportunity is being presented before you. Will you do it or will you not do it? You think, but if I do, God is going to be upset. But I know he'll forgive me. And so instead of using discipline, right, or sacrifice, it's just easier for me to ask for forgiveness later on. We've all been there. Maybe you're there. To which I would submit to you what we need is a different motivator. If our actions aren't what are earning us the favor of God, then the, the natural question, though, which I think is a valid question, then why do the things? then what does it matter? That's the question we're going to answer this morning. So if you've got your Bibles, we're going to, we're going to start in Colossians chapter 3. We're going to go verse 1. We're going to cover a lot of verses today. And so uh, not that I have the time to unpack everything that's in these verses, but we're going to start with verse 1 and actually go down through 17. This is Paul writing. 
He says, if then, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not the things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And so Paul's been spending the first, the first two chapters of Colossians, the first half of Colossians, saying, this is who you are. This is who you are. This is your new identity now. And then he gets to three, and he's getting ready to make some application, application based on, on statements he's already made about identity. And so as he moves to his application place, he says, if you have been raised, in other words, if you are in Christ, this idea that we share not only in the resurrection, but we share in his death, his burial, and his resurrection. In the crucifixion, we share with him in his death, his burial, his resurrection. And what he says here is, is if you have been raised with Christ, if you've been raised in Christ, if you share in the resurrection, what you're going to ultimately share in is with his glorification. That's what he says. If you share in the resurrection with Christ, you will also share with him in his glorification. And so he says, because this is true, if this is true, which is, it is true. If this is true, what does he say? Seek the things of heaven. Set your mind on the things of heaven. Seek and set. Seek and set. And uh, in marketing, there is this rule of seven. The idea is that you have to see something or hear a message seven times before you'll apply it. And so the marketers know that, that they have to inundate you. It's not just like, oh, I saw that that one time, and I'm going to go do that. Actually, they know that it's, it's about seven to get any sort of um, uh, compliance gaining. They want you to do something that you have to hear that message seven times before you actually do it. And so they get this idea of seek, right? Seek and set. Seek, if, we, if we want them to seek it out, we have to get them to set their mind on it. Because what the mind sets on, the will will seek out. What you set your mind on, the will finds a way and seeks it out. Marketers know this, and you know this, right? That the, the first time you, you see something, maybe you hear the message, you go, who needs, some, who, who needs something like that? And you hear the message a second time, and you go, well, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, I mean, I don't need that. But, but I could see how that would be helpful. Hear it again. I don't need that, but it would be nice. I mean, I don't, I don't need that, but I could really use that. Hear the message again, again. I've got to have it. Click. By what what your mind sets it on, the will seeks out. And what Paul says here, he says, set your mind on heaven, set your mind on heaven, seek out the things of heaven. And then why, so, so you go, then why should I do this, Paul? And what Paul says here is, he because he gives us actually three reasons here. He goes, because one, that's where Christ is. Two, 
your life is hidden in him. So you, you, you seek your mind, seek and set your mind on heaven because that's where Christ is. And your life now is hidden in Jesus. I think he means hidden, one, is it secure, and two, it's discoverable. In other words, it's hidden in him, it's not going anywhere, and two, it's discoverable. The more you find out about Jesus, the more you actually find out about who you are to be. So set your mind on heaven because Jesus is there. And within Jesus is your life. And then set and seek the things of heaven because that's where your present is. That's what he says, right? Christ, who is your life, present, who is your life, that's where your present is. And more than that, that's where your future is. When he appears in glory, you also will appear in glory. So you focus on heaven, you seek and set your mind on heaven because it's the location of Christ, it's the location of your life, it's the location of your, of your present and your future. What your mind sets itself on, your will will seek out. And so he says, set your mind on the things of heaven. Seek out the things of heaven because Jesus is there, your life is there, your present is there, and your future is all there. And then he goes on even further. In verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these two, you once walked. When you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge, in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not, a, not Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. And so he talks about this idea that you need to, to, to take all of the, there's a bunch of stuff that you're going to take off. Now, now, actually, on Ash Wednesday, I'm going to, we're going we're gonna to spend some time on, on these lists. So you're like, yay, yay, that sounds like a lot of fun. We're also going to spend time on Ash Wednesday, spending some time thinking about the things he's going to tell us to put on. Put this off, put this on. So I'm not going to unpack those now. But I want you to, to hear this, is that what, what Paul is saying, because this is true of you, your future, your present is in Christ, hidden. I want you to do something now. I want you to put this to death. Put it away. And we go, well, didn't Jesus put that to death on the cross? He did put that to death on the cross. And now what he's asking you to do is to live out that reality, put it to death. Interesting, he has two things here. One of sexual immorality, that's one list is of sexual immorality. The other seems to be one of anger or rage or wrath. The two lists, by the way, they're not exhaustive. 
So it's not like you can get to these places in the Bible and when and if your specific sin isn't isn't like listed, you're like, oh, I'm I'm in the clear because it says nothing about what I wrestle with. So I'm I'm good. They're not exhaustive, but I would probably submit to you that going through those those just even those two short brief lists is that there was probably something you're like, yeah, 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 that's me. That's me. And what he says is I want you to put it off and I want you to put it to death. He says this idea that do not lie to each other. Do not lie to one another. This, if you see, do not lie to one another. It's interesting because I think a lot of times what we think when we hear this passage, which is true, is what he's saying is, is tell the truth to other people. I go, yes, we should be telling the truth to other people. But interesting with this one, is it still up there? Can you back that up actually? To the to the, the slide before yes yeah, so the boom, boom 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 do not lie do not lie to one another do not lie to one another as what it says here is this idea seeing right seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and put on the new self don't lie to one another seeing that you have put off the old self and put on the new self. I think here that what Paul is saying is more than just this idea of, of don't, don't, don't tell each other lies. Because what he's saying here is don't lie by, by, by keeping on your old self. I'm going to put in other words now. Don't lie by, by, by keeping on your old self and putting off your new self because that's not you anymore. And for you to not put these things to death, for you to continue on in this way at some level is living a lie. There's this great frustration in Christianity. I don't know if you've ever experienced it. I, 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 I think that you probably have. Where there's something that you know is not God honoring and it keeps on rearing its ugly head. And you think to yourself, I thought I was done with this. I thought I had put this to death. I had put this away. And that can be a very discouraging place, by the way. This is discouraging for lots of reasons. Because when you go, I thought I was beyond this. I thought I was stronger than this. I thought this was on. So, because what happens, I will say something for like, um, like anger. Like you lash out in anger. And when you lash out in anger, you hurt the people around you. So you think to yourself, I'm not going to lash out in anger anymore. And you realize you've been getting better at it. And like you lash out in anger less and less. But then something happens, something sets you off. You lash out in anger. You hurt the people around you. And you think to yourself, I thought I was coming along, but I'm not coming anywhere. I thought I was growing, but I'm just, I'm back at square one. I'll tell you this, maybe it's just me that's had this experience, but, uh, <laughs> uh, but, but, you, but you have this feeling of like, I'm not, I'm not growing. And that can be really, really discouraging. But can I tell you this, that there's an encouragement in there. The encouragement is that there's a frustration within you that has this idea that this is not who I am. To which I would say, you're right. That's what the scriptures say. There's something, this isn't me. That's the frustration. I would go, and that frustration tells you something. 
that frustration tells you that you have a different identity that you're not living out. Because here's the thing. I know people that lash out in anger and hurt other people, and they, think, they don't think twice about it. I do. Why? Because that's not me. The scriptures would say, you're right. And so, he says, I want you to put off these things. And then I want you to put on these things. Verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if someone, if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you, you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called into one body, and be thankful. And let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And so he says, I want you to take off these things that are no longer true about you. And I want you to put on these things that are true about you. But I want you to notice what he does. Did you notice that actually before he tells them what to put on, he reminds them, put this on, but before I get to the list of what you're to do, put this on, but before I get there, I just want to remind you that you're God's chosen ones, that you're holy, you're you're beloved. And by the way, notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say you want to be God's chosen ones, don't you? Yeah. Don't you want to be God's beloved? Yeah. Then, then, then do these things. If this is what you want, then you need to do these things. That's not what he says. He says, because this is true of you, you are his chosen ones, holy, beloved. Because this is your identity, what I'm asking you now to do is to put these things on. Things like compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bearing with one another their burdens. What he says is, I want you to live out your new identity. And when you live out your new identity, this is what you should look like. And interesting here is that he moves from this, not only do you have an individual identity, but as a church community, as a people, there is a corporate identity that takes place. And actually, not only are you living out your individual identity that is in Christ, 
But then if a bunch of y'all get together, what happens is that as a community, you live out that identity as well. In other words, isn't this what we want? We, this idea that we, we, have, we have identity ourselves, but we don't just have autonomy because we belong to community. And so he says, you have an identity now that is in Christ, and because of that, you belong to something larger than you that also has an identity. And when you individually have an identity that you are living out, then what happens is that the corporate identity reflects the same. And you go, where do you see that? And you go, well, actually, it's, it's all over here. Back up in verse 11, he had actually said, you're to be a community of diversity, but also one of equal value. That's why he says, he goes, in, in, in the kingdom in Christ, there isn't Greek or Jew, free or slave. You have a new identity in the kingdom. And by the way, fellow Christians, don't you dare treat one another the way that the society treats each other. Because you have a different identity in the kingdom. Where culture may say, this is your role, you play it, stay in your lane. Is that when you come into the community, you already have this new identity and it's the job of the community to recognize and to treat you accordingly to that identity. And so among the church, all are equal. All are free. That, by the way, that doesn't mean that there isn't distinction. There are distinctions. But he's, what he's saying is that there's, there's equality. He says, interesting, then he goes, and then you're also to be a community of forgiveness. Remember, that's what he says. Man, if somebody, like, bear the burdens right, bear the burdens. If someone's got a complaint... You know, if someone's got a complaint against another, it doesn't say that person should even like ask for forgiveness. It says, no, you forgive each other. In other words, that, that the church community, its identity is one of forgiveness. Not just that we have been forgiven, but that we forgive one another. And this is what he's saying, and I love how Paul does here. Be why? Because, because Christ has forgiven you. You have a hard time forgiving somebody? Yeah. People ask me, like, Josh, how do you, how do you forgive? Like, oh, it's, it's brutal, but I think it's a process, and I'm committed to the process. It's difficult. But it's what we're called to. And here's the problem with forgiveness. If they are in Christ, and I, I don't forgive someone that's, that's also a Christian, I think at least two things are happening. One is that I have forgotten how much I needed to be forgiven. It's easy to get to the place. I mean, sure, God, I did some bad things. I mean, I did some bad things, but I didn't do things that bad. I mean, that was a, tr- I mean, what they are doing was so much worse than what I ever did. False. And so one, I think we have forgotten, when we have a hard time forgiving, especially other Christians, we, one, have forgotten how much we have been forgiven. 
And two, and I think the, the most difficult of it all, two, when I have a hard time forgiving another Christian, it means that I have a higher standard of forgiveness than God himself. That's a problem. It's a problem if I can say, God, I know that you have forgiven them, but uh, I'm still holding out. I'm still, I'm still waiting. There's still some things I need to see first. <laughs> God, I know that you have sacrificed for them, but you know, I'm just like, I'm seeing how this thing plays out first. You probably shouldn't have a higher standard of forgiveness than God himself. So he says you're to be a community of equality. You're to be a forgiving community. He says that you're to be a community of peace, right? This, by this way, the, the, the idea that here is that the peace is not just an internal personalized peace, but, in, but in actually a corporate peace. And this idea of not just peace of like absence of conflict, but like wholeness. In other words, the community is working together, serving one another, bearing one another's burdens, living out that identity. He says it to be an encur- a community of encouragement. This idea of teaching and correcting one another. This idea of singing psalms and hymns and, and spiritual songs. I think we even got a hymn in this morning. But this idea, by the way, he's not referring to the, the, the hymns came later, so he's referring to something else. I think here the, the, three, the three distinctions are like psalms we see in the Bible, sing those, those are great. Uh, songs that people have written and like the spiritual songs, songs that just kind of come and go. Like they just kind of, they just arise. But he says, but encourage one another this way. Be a community when if, if like somebody is, is like, living in a way that needs to be quite called on, like, like encourage, like correct them, teach them. But that also means that you're teachable and correctable. And he says you should also then be a community of gratitude, thankfulness in your heart, equality, diversity, unity, forgiveness, wholeness, encouragement, thankfulness, Doesn't that describe the church in America, huh? No. <laughs> I wish it did. I pray that it's, it's true for us. And increasingly so. And so what, what he's saying here is he goes, there's this living out of your identity that happens individually putting things off and putting things on. And when that happens, there's this identity that's lived out in community. And all of this, all of this, all of this is flowing and motivated by what Christ has done. It's interesting that every community or culture has a list of vices and virtues, right? Don't do this. Do this. This is bad. This is good. Your family, the family you grew up in, the family that that you raised, 
you, you, whether you knew it or not, you, you were teaching virtues and vices, right? Do this. This is good. Don't do this. This is bad. Go to school. Get an education. Get a good job. Get out of the house. You know, those things. Those are, those are, those, those are, those are our, our virtues. And then the vices, like, well, don't, don't do these things. Don't, don't lie and don't steal and, and uh, you know, don't, don't be lazy. And it's interesting, so every, whether on, on the micro scale or the macro scale, is that every, cult, every time when people get together, every community has a list of virtues and vices. But then my question is, because a lot of times, if you push them, you want to, what's, why, like, what's the motivator? Is actually, if you push a lot of them, you push them far enough, the motivation is actually lacking. Go get education. That's a virtue in our culture. I, I think it's good. I, I'm, I'm still in school, so that's good. I mean, I, I love it. But go get an education. But you ask why? <laughs> well, well, it's because it's good to be educated. I'm like, well, I would agree with that. But, but why? Well, because you can get a good-paying job. Why is that important? And why is like a medium-paying job not okay? Well, because you want like mo- like money, like money. Like, oh, 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 you want to be financially independent. Like, well, yeah, I, I get that. But what if I'm just secure? Like, so you see what I'm saying? Like, you push these virtues and these vices far far enough, and then you find out what's the motivator behind this. And sometimes, actually, you disagree with the motivator. And it's interesting here what Paul gives us as the motivator. Do you know, by the way, this has been really easy for Paul to say, put this off, put this on. Why, Paul? Because when you do this, you make baby Jesus cry. And when you do this, like you make him happy, right? That, that's, that's why. Because, because God is on his throne. Don't make him cry. Make him smile when he sees you. Make him be pleased with you. That would be a powerful motivator. And unfortunately, is probably what is motivating most of your good works. But Paul says that's not the motivator. Then what is the motivator? He gave it to us in one through four. Seek and set your mind on the things of heaven because that's where your identity is That's where Jesus is, and that's where your present and your future are. Paul, why should I not engage in sexual immorality? Because when you do that, you set and seek the things that are here. And do you know what's here? Your past is here. Death is here. Nothing of your identity is here. And if what you're going to do is to set and seek the things that are here, you are not going to live out your identity. It's going to take you off of seeking and setting the things of heaven. You can't do both. That's why when people think about like how greedy can I be, how greedy can I be and still be generous, which is a ridiculous question, right? The idea is like I'm going to set and seek the things of here. Money, 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 money. How much can I focus on that and still be like in God's good graces? 
And I go, you have a problem because you can't set and seek the things of the world and set and seek the things of God. And the reason why Paul says don't set the set and seek the things of the world is not because you make God mad. He goes, don't set and seek the things of the world because that's not you anymore. That's not your identity. That's not who you are. And if you want to do that, you're going to commit yourself to living a lie the rest of your life. But you set and seek your your mind, your your actions on the things of heaven because that's where everything is. You live this way You live this way, not so something becomes true about you. You live this way because something is already true about you. Right? You live with gentleness and kindness, setting your things on that. Not so that it becomes true about you, but you do that because it's already true about you. And you may think to yourself, I don't feel that way. And you go, that's the problem. Paul knows that. That's why he says, so set and seek the things of heaven. Interestingly enough, one of our great sins of our current culture, one of the great vices, is to not live out your identity. One of the great sins of our culture is to not live out your identity. This idea that something is true about you, and because of that, and because of that, you have to, you have to live that out, to live a life of authenticity and a life of integrity. To which they may say to me, Josh, don't you think that's true? And I will say, I think that is actually 100% true. With a massive caveat. As long as our true self is not something that we're going to find internally, but that our true self is something that we find externally and eternally. Paul's actually saying, what our culture at some level is saying. Live out your true self. But your true self is not like your self that's unchecked. Your true self now for the Christian is Jesus. And so why? Why? Why do we do good works if there's so much grace. And Paul says you do these things because this is who you already are. And if you want to live a life of integrity and authenticity, you will live the things out, not so they become true about you, but because they are already true about you. And so you set your mind on the things of heaven. You seek the things of heaven. How do I do that? You put these things off. You put these things on. And you set your mind. You set your will on the things of heaven because that's where your true self is.
And when you do that, you will find the life of authenticity and the life of integrity that you are so longing for. My question to you is what are you setting your mind on? What are you seeking out? And I think if, 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 if what you are thinking to yourself is how much, how much, how much can I get away with? I mean, that's, just, that's natural, by the way. That's just like, that's, that's humanity. How much can I get away with? How much can I get away with? I go, that's the, that's the wrong question. That's to say, I'm going to set and seek my mind here. In reality, my life, my present, my future, my identity is not here. It's somewhere else. And so, if this is the thing that you've been wrestling with, like why, then why do good works? You go, you do good works because you to live out an identity that is now you. There's been a shift change in you. And to find your true self, you're not going to find it internally. You're going to find it externally in Jesus. You'll find it eternally in him today and then forever. May that be true of us. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have given us not just a, a, a to-do list a, to check the boxes or to uncheck boxes. I thank you that, that you are not a fickle God because we are fickle people. We thank you that your affections towards us are not based on our performance. God, thank you that you gave us identity before, before, before there was the activity. God, I pray, I, I continue to pray for the grace. God, I pray, we thank you for your grace. But I, more than that, God, this, this week, I, I pray that we would live out our identity individually, that corporately, that we would be a church about this. May we live out our identity in you. May we set our mind on you. May we seek you out and the things of you because that's where you are. That's where our life is. That's where our present and our future, that all lies there. May we seek those things out. May we live true to our identity and in doing so live lives of authenticity and integrity. We love you. We pray for these things in your name. Amen.